0: Happy New Year, church family. Although I'm uh, glad to say goodbye to 2020, um, my hope is not that we'll be happy in 2021. My hope is that we'll be able to experience the real joy that comes from Christ. We start the new year uh, in many ways with a very hard passage to hear. Our passage today is about suffering well. Now, I admit that I've borrowed this idea from our own uh, Adam Condit. If you remember, Adam spoke back in December, and uh, he described chapter 4, and and his message on chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, was to live well. And then in verses 7 through 11, he chose a title to love well. And he described uh, verses 12 through 19, our passage today, as Suffer Well. And so I'm borrowing my title today from Adam's concept, and I'm, we're calling it Suffering Well. When you think about suffering, how do you suffer well? Um, you know, it's easy to say, well, the best way to suffer is not to suffer at all. It's just to, I don't want it, I don't need it, I want to stay away from it. In 2014, Admiral William H. McRaven touched on this subject in his commencement address to the University of Texas in 2014. The title of his uh, commencement address was 10 lessons to change the world. Admiral McRaven was a 36-year veteran of the Navy Seals. And This was perhaps of the 10 lessons he focused on one that perhaps was the most important lesson about pain, life, and difficulty. He described the intense training that Navy SEALs go through. Long runs, long swims, obstacle courses, hours of calisthenics, all this to train them uh, and to test the mettle of each potential Navy SEAL. Every event had standards for strength and endurance and speed. If someone did not meet the standard, their name was posted at the end of the day publicly, and they were invited to come to something that was called the circus. The circus was two extra hours each day of running, calisthenics, and endurance training. If you attended the circus, it meant for you more pain, more suffering, and more fatigue the next day. However, there was one important lesson that was learned by these Navy SEALs over time. Those students who did the two hours of extra work got stronger and stronger. The pain of the circuses built an inner strength and a physical resiliency. Finally, Admiral McRaven made this point uh, to his students at the commencement address. He said, life is filled with circuses. You will fail. You will likely fail often. It will be painful. It will be discouraging. At times, it will test you to your very core. But if you want to change the world, don't be afraid of circuses. Do we want to change the world, church? Life is filled with circuses, whether you are a Navy SEAL or not. And yes, Jesus did say, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. There is hope, and Jesus has already overcome all the obstacles of life, and we're on his team, and we know who wins in the end, but we're not there yet. And we are here and in the here and the now. We already read, um, I'm going to read verses uh, 12 through uh, 16. First, uh, Peter. So I want to invite you to turn there. This is a passage we're going to be focusing on and you'll need to uh, open your Bibles. You'll need to uh, grab your smartphone and, and find this text. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning uh, with verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So we'll end our reading for now at verse, uh, at verse 16. Verse 12, first of all, uh, Peter would have us, don't be surprised by suffering. We ought not be surprised. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter in chapter 1 had already alluded to the suffering grief and all kinds of trials, but here he seems to ratchet it up a bit, describing their situation as a fiery ordeal. The heat of persecution is beginning to be turned up for the church. And Peter reminds them that this is a test of their faith. He reminds them of what he had taught them already. They ought not to be surprised by this. And this is what the Bible also teaches in both the Old and the New Testaments. Um, In the Old Testament, Joseph was tested. And he was persecuted by his brother, but he was tested by God. The Israelites were tested for 40 years in the wilderness. Job was tested and he suffered greatly. David was persecuted uh, by King Saul. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by suffering. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Good people do suffer. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Paul instructed Timothy not to be surprised by this. In fact, it just goes with the territory for a committed Christ follower. The Apostle Paul also writes in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you, church, in in Philippi, the Philippians, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, to have faith in him, but also to suffer for him. The Apostle Paul wanted to prepare the church at Philippi for what was to come. He wanted to prepare them and have a mindset for suffering. It was granted to them. It was to be given to them. The Apostle Peter wrote the churches when he wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he wrote the churches in Asia Minor to equip them for suffering. But when we think about suffering, we want to avoid it at all costs. How does one suffer well? By not suffering at all? Sometimes I think Christ followers were even willing to revert to false teaching. And they come to the conclusion, if God loves us, he wouldn't allow us to suffer. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. We know that good people suffer. We know that Jesus suffered as well. Jesus Christ was a perfect embodiment of humanity. He was without sin. He was totally righteous. He was God's beloved son. Yet he suffered. Look at Matthew chapter 27. This is um, at the crucifixion in verses 28 through 30. And, and uh, we're just reminded of this, uh, as uh, of the story of Easter here and, and the death of Christ. Verse 28, they stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on his head, and they put a staff in his right hand. Verse next slide. Then they knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. They made fun of him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And then uh, just a few verses later in verse 35 when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus suffered in a lot of different ways. In a very short time, right here, we see in this passage, he was abused physically, he was abused emotionally, he was insulted, made fun of, he was the butt of jokes. And then when we come to this verse 35, it says, when they crucified him, it just said simply, Factually, it's done. But when they crucified him, they nailed his hands to the cross one at a time. One hammer blow at a time, each hand, and then his feet. He didn't deserve it. Good people do suffer. We come to verses 13 through 16, and... Peter would have us to see the God's side of suffering. So when we think of suffering, we just think of, okay, this hurts, I don't want it, uh, it, it, it's painful. But we need to take our eyes off of the immediate difficulty of suffering and have a look at suffering from an eternal perspective, uh, from the big picture, to see it as God sees it. God is not totally caught up in the here and the now of suffering. However, he is very aware. In fact, he's more aware of our personal experiences and the suffering in the world way more than we will ever be. There's a lot of reasons for suffering, and I'm not an expert on suffering, and I haven't experienced a lot of suffering in my own life. Sometimes people suffer due to poor choices and they face consequences. Sometimes people suffer uh, because we live in a fallen world of imperfection. Um, That's why sometimes people suffer with illness like, like a cancer or like coronavirus. Sometimes people suffer because we live in a fallen world of broken relationships. But that's not exactly what Peter is talking about here. In verse 13, suffering can be a cause to rejoice. This is kind of counterintuitive. Why? Because God can work good out of any situation. God can work suffering. God can work good out of our poor choices. He can work good out of our living in a fallen world. He he can work good out of a physical illness. Uh, He can work good out of a broken relationship. But that's not Peter's focus. He, Peter has a special focus here in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Peter writes, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, when Jesus returns in victory, uh, when Jesus comes again a second time. Um, you would be overjoyed. Sometimes, and this is Peter's point, suffering happens because of our commitment to Christ and because our lifestyle reflects Christ. And this is Peter's focus in this passage. Jesus said the world hated him and that we shouldn't be surprised that the world would hate us also when we follow Christ. When a Christ follower suffers because Christ is displayed in them, this is a cause to rejoice. An example is found in Acts chapter 5 and verses 40 and 41. Um, Here the apostles made the religious leaders angry because they continued to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Um, And they had been ordered not to. And we see their response in Acts chapter 5 and um, the apostles are standing before uh, the religious leaders and um, the high priest speaks and his speech p- persuaded them and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Here they're beaten publicly. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They'd already ordered them that. And then they let them go. Next slide. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of, the su- of suffering disgrace for the name. They rejoiced. They experienced an overwhelming joy because they had reflected Christ in the midst of this uh, tense situation in this where Christ's name was being dishonored and uh, they were being asked to be, to bis- be disobedient to Christ and, and they refused to be disobedient to Christ and they experienced this deep joy, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy. In verse 14, uh, suffering can result in God's blessing. Uh, Not only can it cause us to rejoice, it can result in God's blessing. Verse 14, have a look. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory of God rests on you. It's about God's favor. It's about God's grace. Peter had been taught this personally by Jesus. Because of the name of Christ, because you truly reflect Christ. You are blessed, and God's favor rests on you to empower you, to lead you. This is what Stephen experienced in Acts chapter 7 when he was stoned to death. Uh, The Spirit of Christ empowered him and gave him wisdom and gave him the words to speak uh, to his audience in Acts 7. Jesus gave these instructions in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 11 and 12, and he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is about being insulted or persecuted because someone is a Christ follower. This is about Christ living in you and being on display because of your faith, because of your attitude and your actions and your dependence on him. This is not about being persecuted because of your physical appearance or your uh, personality or your skill or your lack of it or any other reason, being, but being persecuted because you belong to Jesus and you are displaying Jesus. In verse 12, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. When you see this from the big picture, from you see this uh, from the God's side of suffering. There's a reward in heaven. Here's a really practical question for us. Is it worth it for you if there's a reward in heaven? To suffer well? To reflect Jesus in a time of pain? in a time of great need? Do we really take the words of Jesus seriously? Suffering can result in God's blessing. We come to verses 15 and 16. Suffering can be a cause for praise. Look at verse 15. Peter writes, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Um, he says, if you suffer because of your poor choices and if you have to face the consequences, this is not appropriate for a Christ follower. And sometimes uh, we do have to suffer for, our, for, for consequences. And it's true that God can work good through any situation, even um, when we have to face consequences for poor choices. But Peter is focusing on suffering because we are following Jesus Christ. Verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Um, It's not worthy of shame. Um, you, You are not a failure, and there's no reason to feel like a failure counted as an honor it's a reason to give praise to God to give worship back to God it's an affirmation it's an affirmation that your walk with Christ is genuine and people see Christ in you not just your human frailties but Jesus working through you this was the apostle Paul's personal experience in 2 Corinthians chapter Uh, 12 verses 8 through 10, and this is a common passage that we we look at sometimes, and he begins uh, verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, and he's referring to some kind of physical limitation that he experienced, perhaps it was painful, Uh, he was unable to do some things because of this uh, physical issue that he experienced, and he said three times, I, I asked the Lord, I, I prayed, and I wanted God to remove it. It, 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 it hurt. Um, and God replied, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God said, no, Paul, I'm not going to take away this problem. I'm not going to take away your pain. I'm not going to take away your, um, your suffering. Because my grace is enough. It's sufficient for you. Uh, My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Next slide. Paul writes, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, The, the spirit of God, God's favor resting on him. That is why... For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul found delight in his human limitations and his mistreatment by people. Not because he was a masochist, but because God's power worked through his weaknesses. And he found joy in that. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I think this is pretty hard for us. We like to see Paul as our hero, but we'd rather not have the problems to gain God's power. Lastly, in verses 17 through 19, determined to stay the course through suffering. That's what Peter would have us do. Determined to stay the course through suffering. It requires intentionality. It requires that I understanding that suffering can work for my good. It requires that I accept suffering as a normal part of life. Look at verses 17 and and 18 together. Here's what uh, the Apostle Peter writes. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And it begins with us what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it begins with us, what's the outcome going to be for those who don't obey the gospel? Verse 18, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Judgment starts with God's family to purify our faith. Now, this is not uh, about final judgment. That's not what Peter is talking about here. Because believers in Christ are saved from the penalty of sin. They will not be condemned. They will not face an eternal death, an eternal separation from God. They will not be in hell. This is about how God, our Father, trains his kids. It's about our response to difficult life circumstances. Do we cling to the all powerful, all wise? only God or do we seek comfort somewhere else do we rely on the resources that are only human or do we turn to the true and living God Peter is suggesting in verse 17 that God's household God's family God's children have to experience some suffering in this life there is a purpose to it and that's the point uh, that goes back to the beginning of this book. And uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter started with this, and he's carrying it all the way through the book. He says, in all this, in all this turmoil, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have, may have had to suffer grief. And all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness genuine of your faith. Next slide. Of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Peter acknowledges the trials that the churches have suffered. They have struggled. They've experienced pain. They've experienced loss. And these have come to prove, to test, and to refine their faith. Their faith. There's always a purpose to refine the faith of a Christ follower, a child of God. And when we, our faith is refined, some of the props of life are removed, um, and we find out, what, what do we count on? What are we trusting in? Who do we turn to? What are we relying on? Are we relying on people? Are we relying on things? Are we relying on chemicals? Or do we trust the one who loves us and gave his life for us? It brings clarity to our faith and purpose. We find out, are we about ourselves first or are we about God first? In verse 18, Peter uh, is uh, alluding to Proverbs eleven thirty one. 31, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He acknowledges that a genuine believer can have a hard life, can struggle, can go through difficulty, can experience pain and suffering and hardship before they get to heaven. It can be hard for the righteous to be saved. But what about the person who doesn't know God, doesn't have a personal relationship with, with God through Christ. Sometimes those people appear like they have it all together. Sometimes it appears that non-Christians really have a great life, life with no problems or little problems because of their fame or their ability or their money or their health. Yet the Apostle Paul clearly identifies their outcome in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He's very clear. Scripture says, he, God, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you obey the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? By putting your faith in Christ who died for you. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Next slide. Um, so we may suffer for a time in this life but those people uh, without Christ will suffer for an eternity you know that's why we're here that's why we have the gospel we have a mission our job is to display Christ and to live for him and to speak for him and to tell people about God's love and his forgiveness and his offer of eternal life through Jesus Christ and sometimes the best way for them to see it is to see how we handle difficulty, how we manage suffering. We come to the very last uh, section, very last verse in our passage in verse 19, and we see that full devotion to Christ is God's best resource for suffering. Full devotion to Christ. Suffering of any kind whether it's suffering uh, because of health, whether it's suffering a broken relationship, whether it's suffered—it's because of suffering from a failed career, suffering from um, our own personal choices and facing consequences, or whether we are suffering because of the cause of Christ, full devotion to Christ is God's best resource. Here's what Peter writes in verse 19. He says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. So what is the final word on suffering? I should commit my life to the faithful creator, the one who loves me, the one who designed me, the true and living God, the one who gave himself for me. I should commit myself to him. He's my creator. He designed me. He works for my good. Even when I don't see it, he is faithful always. He always fulfills his promises. And he wants me to continue to do good. He wants me to continue to serve people. He wants me to continue to follow Christ and to be kind and to be patient with people. He wants me to love people. He wants me to be merciful. He wants me to be generous and reach out to people who have needs and to give back to Him faithfully. He wants me to rely on Him when life is hard, when I face pain. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is a verse that kind of, I think, gives us a picture of, of committing our lives to our faithful creator. Uh, Paul writes this, and he says, therefore, he's writing to the church in Rome, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, So, when you think about it, when you think of what God has done for you, when you think about Jesus laying his life down as a sacrifice for you, when you think about the cost of his suffering, death, so that our sins could be forgiven and we could know God personally and we could have resources right now and we could have heaven as our home and the possibility of rewards in heaven. In view of God's mercy, what should our response be? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice back to God, holy and pleasing to God, about dedicating ourselves back to God. This is your true and proper worship. Jesus gave me his life. And so that I could be forgiven. And he demonstrated his love for me. And I have the opportunity to give my life back to him in service. And that's what Paul means by a living sacrifice. I'm giving myself back whatever he wants. I want to follow Christ. Karen Watson was a young missionary in Iraq in 2004. She understood what it meant to place her life into the hands of her faithful creator. Karen wrote a letter to her pastor back home to be read upon her death. And here is an excerpt from that letter. When God calls, there are no regrets. She writes, I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nation's. I wasn't called to a place, I was called to him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. Karen was executed in Iraq on March 15, 2004. She wrote this letter one year before her death. Her letter ended with these words, I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I was not called to comfort or success. Personally, I was very challenged by these words. Uh, It makes me ask, have I been called to a life of comfort? Is that what I am seeking now? just to be comfortable? Have I been called to a life of success? Is that really what I'm pursuing? Or have I been called to a life of obedience? Is that how I live? Let's pray together. Gracious God, um, we begin a new year, and today we're talking about suffering. And Some have experienced more suffering this past year than others. Perhaps some of us will experience suffering that we didn't expect in 2021. God caused us to be mindful that our responsibility is to follow Christ, that our responsibility is to live in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, may we give ourselves to you. May we humbly, reflectively stop and count the cost. Even if we have done this before, given ourselves to you totally and maybe even taken control back from our lives. If we have sinned, Oh, God, I pray um, that you will point that out and cause us to be mindful of seeking your forgiveness and being cleansed of all unrighteousness. Father, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit. May you equip us for what is to come this year. May we give ourselves totally into your hands. You are the faithful creator. You are the one who fulfills his promises. You are the one who loves us and empowers us and equips us. May we honor you in 2021. Teach us to suffer well for Jesus' sake. Amen.